Out front next, live from Israel, eliminated. Israel says it's taken out a senior Hamas leader, but the strike devastating a Gaza refugee camp. One doctor, one doctor saying hundreds, hundreds have been killed or injured. Plus, escaping Gaza in just hours. A crucial border crossing is set to open for some of those in danger. As we're learning, uh, there are some 400 American citizens stuck in the Gaza Strip. I'll talk to a member of the International Committee of the Red Cross in Gaza. And the U.S. putting Iran on notice right now, warning if the attacks on American troops don't stop, the U.S. will respond. Let's, let's go out front. Good evening. Uh, welcome to a special edition of Outfront. I'm Wolf Blitzer, in for Aaron Burnett. And tonight, live from here in Tel Aviv, there's breaking news. Israel claiming to have hit 300 targets in Gaza over the past 24 hours alone. One of those targets, a refugee camp just north of Gaza City, where Israel says a very senior Hamas commander was located. Explosions rocked the Jabalia refugee camp just hours ago, flattening apartment buildings and leaving behind a giant crater. CNN capturing a massive dark cloud rising over northern Gaza around the same time as the strike. Though CNN cannot fully confirm that the video shows the airstrike carried out of the Jabalia refugee camp. One eyewitness telling CNN, this is important, he was waiting in line to buy bread when several missiles were fired from an F-16, and I'm quoting now. There were seven to eight huge holes in the ground, full of killed people, body parts all over the place. It felt like the end of the world, end quote. The doctor of a hospital in the Hamas-controlled area says he's seen hundreds of dead bodies and injured patients. But an IDF official telling me tonight that the number of civilian casualties has been greatly inflated. All this comes as Israeli troops are pushing deeper and deeper into the Gaza Strip claiming it's now killed some 50 Hamas fighters, as well as taking out firing positions, terror tunnels, and a large stock of weapons. Also tonight, we're learning, we're learning that the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, will return here to Israel this week, his third trip since the attack by Hamas. We have a lot to cover tonight. Nada Bashir is uh, out front for us. She's live in Jerusalem. Jeremy Diamond is along the Israel-Gaza border. But I want to start with Nada Bashir. Nada, what is the very latest? What are you learning about this strike on the Jabalia camp? Well, look, Wolf, we've been seeing devastating airstrikes like uh, tonight's airstrike on the Jabalia camp for over three weeks now with a devastating civilian toll. But the images, the videos that we have seen uh, emerging from the Jabalia refugee camp have been horrifying to say the least. Now, of course, uh, there is still question over the full extent over the civilian death toll and the casualties we've heard from doctors on the ground who say that there are hundreds amongst those killed and injured in this latest airstrike. But of course, as we know, there are still people believed to be buried beneath the rubble of what once were their homes. People still digging, searching, hopeful that there may be survivors. But as we have seen for more than three weeks now, devastation like this always comes with a horrifying death toll. Take a look at the scene. Horrifying scenes of utter despair. Where is she? This man pleads. But everything here is gone. Heart of the Jabalia refugee camp, 
among the largest and most densely populated in Gaza, now turned to rubble. The latest target of Israel's relentless air campaign. The IDF has claimed responsibility for the airstrike. The target, they say, a senior Hamas commander killed in the blast. We were focused again on a target, a senior, a senior commander. But this attack, this massacre, as doctors in Gaza are describing it, has hit civilians hardest. Emergency response teams work desperately in the hope of finding more survivors. But outside Gaza's overwhelmed Indonesian hospital, corpses line the street. The number of those killed and injured, according to the hospital's director, already in the hundreds. They were just in their homes. Children, women, the elderly. We have no idea what to do. The injured are everywhere. Inside the hospital, mothers with their children, wounded and traumatized. But outside, survivors continue to dig through the debris of what once were their homes, desperate to find loved ones buried beneath, but all fearing the very worst. Some of the videos which have emerged from the aftermath of the airstrike on Jabalia are simply too graphic to show. Doctors tell CNN that bodies were found charred and dismembered. This nightmare comes after residents in northern Gaza were warned by Israel to evacuate southwards. But many simply cannot leave. And while Israel denies carrying out collective punishment against the Palestinian people, but scenes like this, reflected across the Gaza Strip, show that it is civilians that are paying the price. And look, Wolf, there has been fierce criticism of this latest airstrike. As we know, the Jabalia refugee camp is densely uh, populated. It is amongst the largest refugee camps in the Gaza Strip. And what we have seen for over three weeks now is the civilian areas in the Gaza Strip, which has been under a blockade since 2007, uh, coming under these relentless aerial bombardments by the IDF. We've heard those evacuation orders for civilians in the north to evacuate southwards. But we are still seeing airstrikes being targeted in those southern areas and for many in Gaza that we've been speaking to they tell us there is simply nowhere safe for them to turn. Wolf. Nada Bashir live in Jerusalem thank you very much uh, right now I want to go to CNN's uh, Jer uh, Jeremy Diamond he's in Ashkelon that's not very far from Gaza. Jeremy what is the latest where you are and what else are you learning there? Well, Wolf, even as the images emerge from the Jabali refugee camp of wounded and deceased women and children, the IDF uh, is standing by uh, this strike that it carried out on the Jabali refugee camp, insisting that it struck a military target and that it was a military target of very high value. They say that's the case because they say that in this strike they were able to kill Ibrahim Biari, the commander of Hamas's central Jabalia battalion. They say that Biari was not only responsible in part for the October 7th terrorist attacks that were carried out here in Israel, but also because he was in command of the forces of Hamas fighters uh, in northern Gaza who have been confronting Israeli forces in that expanded ground operation that was launched five days ago. Uh, what we're also learning, Wolf, is that Biari according to the IDF, appears to have been in those underground tunnels beneath uh, these uh, residential buildings uh, alongside other Hamas fighters. 
in, and that when Israel struck that site with some kind of munition that was able to penetrate the ground, uh, the IDF says that the other buildings around it collapsed because of the underground tunnel system and effectively putting the blame on Hamas for embedding itself in civilian populations uh, as you look at the civilian death toll here. Now, Israel uh, claims that it takes extraordinary precautions, of course, as it relates to civilian casualties, but we have watched, Wolf, over the last several weeks as the death toll of civilians, when you look at children in particular, according to the Hamas-controlled Palestinian Ministry of Health, more than 3,000 children uh, have uh, been killed in this conflict over these last three weeks. Now, today, Wolf, we were actually in Sterot overlooking the Gaza Strip, and we saw what appears to have been that Israeli airstrike that was carried out on the Jabalia refugee camp. You can see this uh, enormous plume of smoke that emerged from the direction of the Jabali refugee camp. And we saw this at the very same time as that airstrike appears to have taken place at approximately the same time. Of course, we cannot fully confirm that this was the strike, but you can see uh, that the sizable crater in the images from the ground and in this video, this very sizable uh, cloud of smoke emerging uh, around the same time. Wolf. Very disturbing indeed. Jeremy Diamond live in Ashkelon, Israel, not far from Gaza. Thank you very much. Joining me now, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus. He's the Israel Defense Forces International Spokesperson. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, thanks once again for joining us. As you know, Israel said it took out a top Hamas commander in that strike on the Jabalia refugee camp earlier today. Hamas strongly denied that that official was even at the camp. Are you absolutely certain, Lieutenant Colonel, he was there and you got him? Well, if uh, Hamas said so, then of course we should believe it, shouldn't we? Uh, they're only a terrorist organization that has the longest track record of lying, killing, murdering, abducting, and uh, mutilating bodies. In all seriousness, yes, uh, Ibrahim Biari was killed, and along with him were dozens of other Hamas combatants. They were running operations, military operations, against our forces in a tunnel complex underneath the uh, Jabalia area. Uh, they were in a very big tunnel. We struck that tunnel after we understood that uh, Biari and the other terrorists were there. Uh, I can confirm that he is dead. And uh, just as we have issued names, faces, and titles of more than 50 Hamas operatives that we have been able to eliminate over the last uh, few weeks, his name is now on that list. I want to say we do not target the civilian population. We target Hamas operatives. And the fact that there may be civilians affected by the fighting is because Hamas embeds itself under the civilian population and uses them as their human shields. So as you point out, the IDF keeps on saying today that it killed approximately 50 Hamas terrorists and hit 300 targets in Gaza over the past 24 hours or so. How many more Hamas members does the IF, IDF want to get and how many targets do you have left to hit before you end this military operation? It's a good question, but it's difficult to say because what we're trying to achieve here is the overall effect. The effect here and the military aim is to dismantle Hamas, to get to its leadership and to make sure that there are no military resources and capabilities in the Gaza Strip that will be used again in order to target Israelis as we saw in the atrocities of October the 7th. At this stage, I cannot say 
how many operatives that would mean and how many seniors we will have to kill and how many tunnels, etc. What I can say is that our troops are now on the ground going and searching and uh, engaging with the enemy on the ground in their strongholds. And Jabalia was a Hamas stronghold. That is why our troops are there. That is why we struck it. And we will continue to do so. We are committed, focused on uh, defeating Hamas and making sure that never again will a terrorist organization in Gaza have the ability to strike Israeli civilians. As you probably know, Hamas just said tonight that none of the hostages that the group is holding in Gaza have been rescued, despite the IDF saying yesterday it did, in fact, rescue an Israeli soldier named Ori Megidish. Hamas suggested that Megidish could have been held prisoner by another group. Do you know if that's accurate? Anything that Hamas says is first considered a lie, and it's only proven true if someone else verifies it. That's how we regard anything coming out of Hamas's mouth, especially when it comes to the psychological warfare efforts that they are conducting using those poor Israeli hostages that they uh, that they are holding. We're talking about more than, not more than, but 240 Israelis that are currently in Gaza held by Hamas and under the responsibility of Hamas. Uh, and frankly, I don't think it matters so much who held them and uh, what uh, what and where she was held. The important thing is that she is now home, reunited with her family, and we are very committed to getting each and every of those Israelis 240 that are being held illegally in direct violation of humanitarian law and the law of armed conflict. They're holding civilians and military personnel illegally and of course, we are going to get them out, whatever the efforts need to be taken. Hamas also said today, Lieutenant Colonel, that it will free some of these foreign nationals, the hostages they are holding in the coming days. What can you tell us about that? Well, I can say that there are 240 Israeli hostages held in Gaza, probably underground. And I know that Hamas is also holding other people uh, in the Gaza Strip and preventing them from exiting. Many dual nationals and internationals, uh, hundreds and perhaps even thousands of them. And they're holding them and preventing them from exiting as well. Um, so it's no surprise that uh, Hamas, that they have this practice of holding people against their will above and below ground. We have tried to coordinate the safe um, evacuation of internationals twice. Twice it has been thwarted by Hamas. They don't want internationals to leave. Uh, and I'm pr frankly, you know, each and every press statement uh, issued by Hamas, every movie of hostages that they release and each and every piece of information, it's lies and more lies and nothing but lies. They've said in the past that uh, if, they, if we wouldn't stop bombing, this was two and a half weeks ago, if we wouldn't stop bombing them, they would execute hostages and show videos of it. And then they're saying, oh, actually, hostages have been killed by Israeli bombardments. And now they're saying different things. It, less in, it, it is less important what they say. That what matters is what is done. What is done is that we have saved one of them, rescued one of them, and we are committed to getting all of them out by whatever means necessary. Lieutenant Colonel Conriquez, uh, thanks once again for joining us. Thank you, Wolf. 
Out front next, our breaking news continues. The U.S. revealing tonight that there are approximately 400 Americans, American citizens, stuck in Gaza as a critical border crossing is now set to open for some of those desperately trying to get out of the Gaza Strip. Plus, the battle over protecting Israel, the divide deepening between Republican leaders over providing Israel with crucial funding, and new evidence tonight that Trump's grip on the Republican Party is actually tightening, even as his legal troubles continue to mount. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We're back with our breaking news live here in Tel Aviv. The Rafah border crossing in southern Gaza now set to open in the next few hours to allow 81 seriously wounded Gazans to receive medical treatment in Egypt. That's according to an Egyptian border official. But still no word on when that crossing will open to the thousands who are trying to get out of Gaza right now, including some 400 American citizens, according to the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. Also tonight, Israel's prime minister under growing global pressure to increase humanitarian aid into Gaza following that strike on Hamas targets in the largest refugee camp in Gaza. And joining us now, Hisham Hana. He's the Red Cross spokesperson who's been based in Gaza since 2019. He's currently in southern Gaza for us. Uh, Hisham, thank you very much for joining us. As you know, an IDF attack on the largest refugee camp in Gaza has caused many casualties. Uh, are you hearing anything about this blast? What do you know? Um, thank you for having me. Uh, they are receiving from Jabalia refugee camp, which is, by the way, one of the most densely populated area in Gaza Strip and the world, are completely tragic. Um, the, 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 the footage we're receiving about babies coming out of the rubble is heartbreaking and um, this is one of the things that we have warned about since the very early hours of this escalation, is that civilians always pay the heaviest toll with every round of escalation. And we urge both parties to uh, spare civilian lives. The IDF also says, Hisham, that it struck 300 targets inside Gaza over the past day or so. The devastation clearly is growing. What are conditions like where you are in southern Gaza? Gaza is, um, is severely uh, tragic. I mean, I can see endless lines of, uh, of people waiting for long hours, waiting for uh, some bread and a bottle of water that's not even suitable for human consumption. 
um, we have been we have tried to like, successfully manage to visit some of the hospitals across the Gaza Strip, especially in the north and the Gaza governorate. Uh, and um, we witnessed tens of thousands of internally displaced families without um, any access to the basic needs: no water, no food, no uh, no um, zero privacy and complete lack of hygiene, which is potentially could lead to um, an environmental risk or a spread of cholera, for example, but also create an extra um, you know, pressure on the humanitarian and the medical teams working and operating in these hospitals for nonstop for many weeks now uh, without any reinforcement. So what do you need most right now, Hisham? This is exactly what we need, a sustainable entry of and inflow of the humanitarian aid into Gaza Strip. We appreciate all the efforts that led to the entry of this uh, number of, of aid trucks uh, or trucks loaded with humanitarian aid, but this remains a drop in an endless ocean of increasing humanitarian needs uh, as, as time passes. Each hour, each extra day in the lifetime of this conflict equals more devastation, more dire needs in the humanitarian uh, sector in Gaza. And this could only be solved by a humanitarian pause and sustainable, safe, and secured entry for, uh, of, of the humanitarian aid. Uh, one of the key challenges that the IHRC faces is the lack of safety of security of our team on the ground in Gaza. We cannot get so far uh, to all the areas of the Gaza Strip uh, um, you know, on a timely basis. Even as you work to bring relief to others, Hisham, I know you are all living through uh, this yourself with your wife, your young son. I, I certainly understand your wife is pregnant and could give birth as soon as potentially tonight. First of all, how is your family doing? Well, um, thank you for mentioning this. My wife, uh, we're expecting a baby anytime soon, and it has been one of the um, scariest nights uh, a few nights ago when uh, the telecommunication system was completely cut off uh, across all Gaza Strip. Many families could not call for an ambulance um, or civil defense to come rescue them. Hospitals received news about the casualties and influx of uh, casualties from uh, the casualties themselves who managed to arrive to the hospitals via their, you know, uh, their neighbors or friends or uh, cab drivers who delivered them to the hospitals. Hisham Hanna, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck to you. Good luck to your wife, your entire family, and let's stay in touch. Thank you so much. Out front next, the new Republican Speaker of the House is trying to pass an aid package for Israel, but the bill is causing a divide among Republicans. Can it even pass? Plus, the U.S. issues a direct threat to Iran, direct threat to Iran, warning it will respond if the attacks on U.S. forces don't stop. Welcome back to a special edition of Out Front, live from Tel Aviv. Tonight, the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, announcing he plans to hold a vote Thursday, Thursday, on a $14.3 billion funding bill for Israel. But that bill already may be a non-starter for both parties. First, because Johnson plans to fund the bill with $14.3 billion in cuts to the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS. The bill also leaves out any funding for Ukraine's war against Russia, something that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is against and has created a clear split among Senate Republicans. Listen. 
It would be a huge mistake to separate this package. So I think the speaker is smart to separate out the Israeli aid. It's uh, not acceptable to abandon Ukraine. He is going to not put Ukraine aid together with uh, aid for Israel. Um, and I completely agree with him. Seeing as Melanie Zanona is out front for us uh, out on Capitol Hill. Melanie, given what we just heard, what's the fate of this bill? Well, Wolf, it's really uncertain at this moment. House Republicans are supporting the Israel-only approach, but Democrats are against it. And meanwhile, Senate Republicans are really divided, which is just further complicated matters up on Capitol Hill. In one corner, you have Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and defense hawks like Lindsey Graham, who argue it is in the interest of national security to have a broader package that includes Israel, Taiwan, Ukraine, border security money. But in the other corner, you have Senate conservatives who say they don't support any more money flowing to Ukraine and are insisting that these two issues be delinked. So really, it is all pit Mitch McConnell against members of his own party and put him in line with Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer. Let's listen. The House GOP package is woefully inadequate, has the hard right's fingerprints all over it, making aid to Israel, who just faced the worst terrorist attack in history contingent on poison pills that help ultra-wealthy tax cheats. We'll see uh, if the bill comes out of the House, and if so, what kind of margin it has. Um, my own view, I just expressed, is that we need to treat all four of these areas, all four of them, Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and the border. So the House and Senate really on a collision course here. And meanwhile, there was also a divide in the Senate today over the confirmation of Jack Lew to be the next ambassador to Israel. This is a post that has been vacant since July, but there was a new sense of urgency to get this done since the war broke out. But Republicans had concerns over Jack Lew's role in the controversial Iran nuclear deal in 2015. Lew has served under the Obama administration in numerous capacities, including White House Chief of Staff and also Treasury Secretary. But in the end, this vote was 53-43 with just two Republicans voting to support him, Lindsey Graham and Rand Paul. Wolf. You just need a simple majority to be confirmed as the U.S. ambassador. Melanie Zanona, thank you very much for that report. Out front now, Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts. He sits on the House Armed Services Committee and served four, twos, four tours of duty with the U.S. Marines in Iraq. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for your support, uh, your involvement in all of this. If the House does vote on the standalone funding bill for Israel, do you plan to support it or oppose it? I mean, for what I've seen right now, uh, Wolf, I can't support it because the speaker is politicizing aid to Israel. He's politicizing our relationship and fundamentally politicizing our national security. We all know that uh, Ukraine and Israel are both fighting for freedom. They're both important to our national security to send a message to terrorists and dictators around the world uh, that you can't mess with us or our allies. And the way that they're trying to separate them, I mean, it's interesting that the two quotes you got, uh, Rick Scott and Rand Paul in the Senate, uh, uh, supporting separating these out, two isolationists who know nothing about national security, uh, whereas Mitt Romney and Lindsey Graham, I mean, they're, they're two Republicans I don't often agree with, but they certainly understand national security. They understand that Ukraine is important to our national security as well, and that's why they want to keep this package together. 
The Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, today tried to make a clear link between what is happening with Israel's war against Hamas and Ukraine's war against Russia. Listen to this. This is all one fight. And we have to respond in a way that recognizes that. If we start to peel off pieces uh, of this package, they'll see that. They'll understand that we are playing whack-a-mole uh, while they cooperate increasingly. What do you say, Congressman, to your fellow lawmakers who don't see this the same way? I mean, one of Hamas's biggest allies is Vladimir Putin. He came out and supported Hamas. So we're going to send a message that we don't like Hamas um, in, in Israel, and therefore we're giving aid to Israel, and yet we're supporting uh, Vladimir Putin's, uh, you know, essentially victory over Ukraine by not providing Ukraine the defenses that they need to maintain their freedom. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. And of course, I sit on the China Committee, Wolf. Uh, one of the things that we understand is so important to deterring and preventing war in the Pacific, preventing Xi Jinping from deciding that he should go ahead and invade Taiwan, is showing the world that dictators will be stopped. Xi Jinping is watching Ukraine like a hawk. He wants to understand if we're going to give in and let Vladimir Putin win, because if we do, that sends a message to Xi Jinping that he can go ahead and invade Taiwan and potentially start World War III in the Pacific. So again, Ukraine and Israel, they're both allies. They're both important to our national security. And that's why we need to continue to support them in their fights. You know, in a related development, Congressman, today we learned of even more attacks against U.S. forces in both Iraq and Syria. A total of at least 27 known attacks since October 17th, 16 in Iraq, 11 in Syria, according to the Pentagon, including areas you know very well from your own service in Iraq. This, as U.S. officials have warned of an elevated risk of a spillover war. How should the U.S. respond to these attacks? It's a great question, Wolf, because the administration and the U.S. military have a very difficult deterrence challenge on their hands. They need to send a message uh, to countries like Iran and the militant groups that they support that they cannot get away with attacking U.S. troops. But at the same time, they need to send that message in a way that does not spark a wider regional war, a war that you, Iran might well like. Uh, they know that it would be very challenging to Israel to have to fight on multiple fronts and so Iran, a, a state that has declared that Israel should not exist, uh, might be quite, quite happy to have a, a regional war. So what the administration is trying to do is both deter these tactical level attacks, these low level attacks on U.S. military facilities, while at the same time making sure that the larger picture, the strategic level deterrence of a regional conflict stays in place. That's a challenge that I think the administration has met well so far. Uh, but this is going to get increasingly difficult as the war in Gaza deepens. Yeah, there's enormous concern among top U.S. officials. This war could expand to include others in the region. Congressman Seth Moulton, as usual, thanks so much for joining us. Good to see you, Wolf. Out, out front next, we'll have more on Iran's flexing its military muscles. Washington is warning Tehran to back off or face the consequences. A special report is next. Plus, a new poll from an early primary state shows Nikki Haley surging into second place. But how does Haley fare against Donald Trump? 
The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, Iran put on notice. The U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin with a stern warning tonight after Iran-backed groups have carried out more than two dozen attacks on U.S. forces in both Iraq and Syria. If this doesn't stop, then we will respond. We maintain the, uh, the right to respond. We have the capability to do that. And we will respond at a time and place of our choosing. A senior defense official telling CNN, and I'm quoting now, Iranian fingerprints are all over the attacks. CNN's Fred Pleitkin is out front with more on the country's growing influence in the region. Iranian-backed Houthi fighters in Yemen with a show of force. While only hitting U.S. and Israeli flags in this exercise, the Houthis say they've also launched a massive, long-distance attack on Israel using ballistic and cruise missiles, as well as drones. The Yemeni armed forces affirm that this operation is the third in support of our oppressed brothers in Palestine, the spokesman says. Israel confirms the attack, saying its defense forces managed to thwart it using modern air defense system. But both the U.S. and Israel have long accused Iran of providing the Houthis with long-range weapons. We got a rare chance to film some of Iran's drone and missile arsenal at a military fair in Tehran in 2019. As the Israel-Hamas war continues, the Iranians are now also flexing their own military muscle. A recent large-scale exercise aiming to show Tehran's defense capabilities, but one of the commanding generals also making clear the Islamic Republic's goal is to destroy Israel. Regarding the message to the Zionist regime, he says, in fact, we announced the destruction of this regime, and God willing, we will witness it soon. Iran's military is not nearly as modern as the U.S.'s or Israel's. Many of its weapons are U.S.-made from before the Islamic Revolution in 1979, like these Vietnam War-era Cobra attack helicopters. But Iran influences or controls scores of militias around the entire Middle East, which Tehran says it can mobilize to not only attack Israel, but U.S. assets throughout the region. In an interview with Al Jazeera, Iran's president threatening escalation. The events we're seeing in Gaza are all red lines that are being breached by the Zionist entity, he says. The killing of women and children, the killing of more than 3,000 children is not something that any human being can reasonably or by conscience accept. Israel maintains it does not target civilians in its campaign against Hamas in Gaza. And the U.S. has sent two carrier strike groups and additional surface-to-air missile batteries to the region. The Biden administration warning Iran to back off. That we will take uh, our, our national security interests very seriously. We will protect and defend our troops. And we'll do it at a time and a manner of our choosing. 
Fred, we know Iran and its proxies are a threat for Israel, but just how far-reaching is Iran's influence over there? Well, the Iranians uh, will certainly believe that they can challenge both the U.S. and Israel uh, in the Middle East uh, region. And it's not just the Houthis in Yemen and certainly also Hezbollah in Lebanon that are extremely close to the Iranians. But we've seen a flurry of Iranian and pro-Iranian Shia militias in Iraq and in Syria as well, especially in Syria after the civil war there, where, of course, Iran was on the side of Bashar al-Assad. There was one thing that a former senior commander of the Revolutionary Guard Corps of Iran told me. He said, look, the U.S. needs to understand that next to every American outpost in the Middle East, there is a militia that's loyal to Iran that could strike at any time, Wolf. Very disturbing developments indeed. Fred Plykin reporting for us. Thank you. Out front next, Trump's lead in a crucial state growing, according to a new poll, now up by more than 30 points. Are there any Republicans who could stop him? And a warning tonight from the FBI director about the rising anti-Semitism and Islamophobia in the United States. We have details when we come back. Tonight, Donald Trump is tightening his grip on the Republican Party. A brand new CNN poll in the uh, critical early voting state of South Carolina has Trump leading with 53 percent among Republican primary voters. That's a 31 point lead over his closest competitor, Nikki Haley, who is notably the state's former governor. Her fellow South Carolina native, Senator Tim Scott, is trailing in fourth place. Out front now, Kristen Soltis-Anderson. She's a Republican strategist and pollster. And Ashley Allison, the former National Coalition's director for President Biden's 2020 campaign. Kristen, let me start with you. Looking at these polling numbers in South Carolina, is Trump uh, the inevitable nominee? He's not inevitable, but he's pretty close. He's definitely the favorite, and his lead is very large. At this point, the best thing that he has going for him is that there are so many other people in the race that it's hard for non-Trump Republicans to consolidate around a single candidate. So long as both Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley stay in the race, that's the best thing that can happen to Donald Trump. Ashley, the Department of Justice, as all of us know, has charged Donald Trump for interfering in the 2020 presidential election. But look at this. 67 percent of South Carolina Republicans say if the charges are true, it isn't relevant to his fitness to be president of the United States. Trump has consistently had strong showing in GOP primary polling numbers nationally. It seems like it seems like there's solid evidence now in this new poll that his legal problems aren't necessarily hurting him. Is that right? Well, that seems to be the case, especially after multiple indictments have come down over the last year. And what we saw when those indictments fell was that his poll numbers went up, his fundraising went up. I'm a voter. Kristen, go ahead, finish your thought. Guilty. Even when we found in South Carolina that voters... um, are saying even if he's guilty, it doesn't matter. That seems to be the trend and is really telling on where Republican voters are and most likely will help him secure the nomination. Interesting. You know, Kristen, Nikki Haley has moved into second place in a, in a recent Iowa state poll as support for Ron DeSantis's Ron DeSantis keeps slipping and slipping. And just moments ago, she had this to say about her rise in the polls. Listen. 
It's pretty remarkable. We've gone up 10 points in the last two months. We continue to try and touch as many hands as we can and, you know, answer every question. Does, does she have enough momentum, though, uh, enough momentum to keep gaining ground on Trump? Well, she'll need a really strong performance in this third debate next week. If you believed that the first two debates didn't matter, just take a look at Nikki Haley's poll numbers and Vivek Ramaswamy's poll numbers. She put the hurt on him, and it really, really has shown with her rise and his fall. Um, but that doesn't mean, even if she has a strong performance in the next debate, she's still got a very tough road to go, and a lot of people who would need to get out of the race in order to make space for her to go after Trump one-on-one. Yeah, that next uh, Republican debate in Miami, that's coming up in the coming days. Ashley, should Democrats be worried about Nikki Haley? I think Democrats should be worried about whoever is going to be the Republican nominee. No election is for sure going to go to one candidate or not. I don't think right now, the way it is trending, it doesn't seem like Nikki Haley potentially has enough time and based on the poll numbers we just discussed and that there's so many candidates in the Republican field still that she could potentially overcome Trump and become the nominee. But if she is the nominee or if Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, the Biden-Harris campaign is going to have to take this election serious, have boots on the ground, talk to voters, meet where they are. They cannot take this election for granted. The poll numbers are too tight, and there's too much at stake for our country. Good point. Uh, Ashley Allison, thank you very much. Kristen Soltis-Anderson, thanks to you as well. Out front next, a new warning tonight from the FBI director that threats against the Jewish community in the United States are reaching, and I'm quoting now, historic levels. We'll have that when we come back. The war between Israel and Hamas is having alarming consequences in the United States. Today, the FBI director, Christopher Wray, said it's becoming more and more dangerous for Jewish Americans and that anti-Semitism is nearing what he called historic levels. The Jewish community is uniquely, uniquely targeted by pretty much every terrorist organization across the spectrum. And when you look at a, a group that makes up 2.4% roughly of the American population, it should be jarring to everyone that that same population accounts for something like 60% of all religious-based hate crimes. The ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, says anti-Semitic incidents are up nearly 400% since October 7th. New York's Governor Kathy Hochul announcing that a person is in custody in connection with anti-Semitic threats against Jewish students at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. That's just one of several incidents on college campuses across the country since the war began. And it's not just anti-Semitism that's on the rise. It's also Islamophobia. The Council on American-Islamic Relations says complaints of incidents targeting Muslim Americans have increased nearly threefold since October 7th. And thanks very much for joining us, Aaron. We'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back uh, here live tomorrow in Tel Aviv starting at 4 p.m. Eastern, also for the Situation Room, starting at 5 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. AC 360 starts right now. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.